Some of us want to accuse God for being unjust, and yet Romans chapter 1 tells us that He's given us a conscience. He's manifested Himself in nature. He points all the signs to Himself. He, he has spoken to us. He has told us to be ready. And we make the terrible assumption that God ought to be ready when I'm ready. This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Loretz. Jesus' parable about the ten virgins and their lamps found in Matthew chapter 25 is not just an interesting story. The parable is a warning about being ready for the return of Jesus. It asks us to take a good look within to see if we really know the Lord and are ready to be with Him. Today we'll continue Crawford's message from last week titled, Living Ready. If you're new to our program, a big welcome to you. Here's a little bit about our speaker. Crawford has been in Christian ministry for over 50 years. He's been a pastor, missionary, conference speaker, seminary professor, and author. His books include Your Marriage, Today and Tomorrow, Leadership as an Identity, and Unshaken. The messages we feature on Living a Legacy come from Crawford's 15 years as pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. Today, Crawford heads the Christian Leadership Mentoring Ministry known as Beyond Our Generation. Well, we're nearing the end of Crawford's series in Matthew called For His Kingdom. And in today's message, we're looking at five movements in the progression of the parable of the ten virgins and their lamps. Here are those movements as Crawford describes them. Number one, contrasting preparation. Number two, an unexpected arrival. Number three, too little, too late. Number four, being tragically shut out. And number five, to live ready. In a moment, we'll examine these last three. As believers, we know the Lord will return for us, but how should that influence our lives? Let's join Crawford Loretz in Matthew chapter 25. Here he is on Living a Legacy. Someone came up to me and said, they were really gripped with the whole issue of urgency since he is returning. This kind of thing. And the young lady said, well, should I quit my job? I, said, I need that. You know, I've been thinking about this. Should I quit my job? Should I focus on going in full-time? He's coming back. And she just kept going. And I said, well, hold on, calm down just a little bit. Hold on. Oh, slowly roll. He may very well be leading you to do that, and you need to listen to him. However, have you considered this? He may want to use where he placed you on that job as a primary arena to impact the hearts and lives of people right there. And I'm going to say this. Now, you've got to think with me here because I don't want you to miss, miss this or, or think that I said something I didn't say. The point is this. When we think of the urgency of the hour and the return of Christ and what the Bible teaches, you've got to drop that into everything that the Bible teaches. To be anticipating his return and be anticipating walking in his presence does not mean that we stop enjoying life. We're taught to enjoy life. The Bible teaches that we ought to have fun in life. We ought to have vacations. We ought to go to ball games. We ought to interact with friends. We ought to enjoy ourselves. Enjoy all of that. I think that's what he means, that they got drowsy and slept. It wasn't that they needed to sleep. But what he's saying is, I want you to hold this intention. While you're enjoying your life, while you're enjoying your job, while you're enjoying your vacation, while you're at that movie, while you're having a delicious dinner with your wife on Valentine's Day, while you're having a great weekend away, wonderful, wonderful, but remember, it's only temporary. You're always ready, and I can't come back. That's what he's trying to explain here to us. Live with an integrated anticipation. Jesus is not calling us to check out 
but he's calling us to live life with the reality that it's all temporary. Enjoy it, yes, but remember you're born from my presence. And that's what they did. But verse six, <clears throat> the bridegroom is a center of attention. While they're sleeping, they're dozing off. Um, it says, but at midnight there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Can you imagine? Oh, 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 he's here. Oh, 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 it's time. I like this. Let's get going. He's here. Let's do this. So all ten virgins quickly started working on their lamps and torches. This meant putting more oil on their rags. But now we got a problem here. That's verses 8 and 9, too little, too late. Verse 8 tells us that the foolish young women were in trouble. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will, be, there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. It's a couple of obvious but necessary observations that need to be made here. There would be no place in a torchlight procession for women whose torches gave no light. And these five knew it. They didn't bring any extra oil. Their torches burnt out. And they understood that there would be no place for them, no room for them in a torchlight procession if they didn't have a light. Is your life reflecting the light of Christ? Is it burning in your heart? Their negligence is inexcusable. It is really punishable carelessness. You say, oh, oh come on, Crawford, how can I be punished for not being ready? Because you knew to be ready. It's as simple as that. Yo, dude, you checked your Delta app, and it said that the plane leaves tomorrow morning at 1045. And you show up at uh, 1130. You know what time the plane was leaving? It's not, it's not the pilot's fault. You can write all the nasty letters you want to the Delta airline. Listen, I have an agreement with Delta. They can leave with or without me. And so it is with our lives. Some of us want to accuse God for being unfair, for being unjust, and yet Romans chapter 1 tells us that he's given us a conscience. He, he's given us, he's manifested himself in nature. He points all the signs to himself. He, he has spoken to us. He has told us to be ready. Many of us have heard the gospel time and 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 time again. And we make the terrible assumption that God ought to be ready when I'm ready. He said, ah, no, no, that's not how that works. You'd better be ready when I'm ready. So now they're in a panic. They, they've got to leave. They, they've got to go. I think the point that Jesus is making here, obviously in verse 9, is that the wise only had enough oil for themselves. Uh, listen to this. You see, you cannot give someone else your preparation. You can't do that. You can't give someone else salvation. It can't be passed on. I wish I could do that. 
I wish I could go to all my neighbors and just give it to them. Man, I remember when our kids were in their teen years and they were wrestling with owning their faith and wanting to have, you know, it's kind of like be coattails and assuming that, you know, they kind of like coast in a little bit, you know, mom and dad's kind of like coattails and whatever. And I, and I, remember, I remember having honest comments with all four of them I did this with, but particularly our sons. I remember looking them in the eyes and Brian, Brendan, I cannot walk with God for you. I can't do it. I can't make holy decisions for you. I can't be your surrogate relationship with God. None of us can do that. You can hang around Christians all you want to. You can go to every Bible study that there is. You can read every investigated piece of material on Christianity. You can listen to all the, all the, all the stuff about what it means to be a follower of Christ. You can do all of that, and you can make the terrible assumption that because you hang with Christians, you're exposed with Christians, you sit in Bible studies with Christians, that that stuff's going to spill over. Ain't nothing spilling over until you turn to Jesus for yourself. It's not going to spill over. Just because your mama was moral and, and, and all of that, and your daddy taught you this, and you got baptized, that none of that works. And they're begging right now. They're begging, can you, can you give us some oil? So we don't have enough, go to the villages. So now they're running back. Now they're running back to the dealers and everything. Hey, you got any oil? Crawford, can you tell me about the gospel again here? And that's, that's the intensity of the text. The intensity is now, now they're scrambling. What, what happened all that time? In verses 10 through 12, it says that they were shut out. <whistles> Please don't view Jesus as being cold-blooded. They knew about the wedding ceremony. They knew about the protocol for the ceremony. They also knew that the groom did not announce ahead of time when he was coming. So don't, 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 don't get on your little moral high horse and say somehow or another God is unfair and vicious. They knew that. Most everybody in this church knows it. We know about the gospel. We know that we have to turn to Jesus. We know that we have to trust him alone. God has made it clear so now verses 10 through 12, this is, this is scary stuff right here. Verse 10 says, and while they were going to buy the, buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready and went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Shut. You're not getting in. Now keep in mind that all of these young women had been invited to the wedding feast. All of them. But time had run out. It was too late to get ready. The door being shut means that time was up and they were totally, finally excluded. And get back to the airplane illustration. A number of us in here travel. If you travel for a while, you've had this terrible experience. You've missed the flight. The first time I went to Africa was in 1979. Now this is, this, is, this is like before the internet, before cell phones and all this stuff. 
And the plane was like 10 hours late from leaving JFK. Had changed planes in Amsterdam and fly all the way down to Lagos, Nigeria. And because the plane was late, my connection flight from Lagos up to Josh, Nigeria, uh, I had missed that. I had missed it. So I'm in a pickle right now. And it was like archaic to communicate back then. And here I am in, a, in, in Nigeria. You know, I'm thinking to myself, I could be stuck here for days. I did, I'm, I'm here, so it worked out. Uh, <laughs> that is such a terribly small thing to consider. You missed eternity because you were preoccupied. You, you, you missed eternity because you were proud. You, you missed eternity because you were distracted. You, you, you missed eternity because you didn't want to give up that woman. You missed eternity because, seriously, you don't want to give up that man. You, you missed eternity because you fell in the blank. What are you going to say when the door is shut? What do you say? What insight do we have? What good reason? There is this gut-wrenching line. They're probably banging on the door and screaming to let them in. You invited me to the wedding party, and I, you know, verse 11, it says, Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us, open to us. Please open the door, please. We, 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 we just bought the, oh, can, we, can we come, can you open the door? Listen to what he says in verse 12. But he answered, truly I say to you, five words. I do not know you. Now, you get to play with the narrative here. They knew about the bridegroom. They knew about the wedding. They knew about the process. They knew about the oil. They knew about all these things. They knew a lot about him, but he says, I don't know you. You see, Jesus only knows those who have truly met him. They have the oil. Knowing about him is not knowing him. Knowing about what he does is not knowing him. So Jesus says, I don't, I don't know you, but I'm really, I don't, I don't know you. I, I, I know the Bible, so I, I don't know you. I pray, I don't know you. I attended, I don't know, I've been baptized, I don't know you. I don't know you. You know, you can leave getting ready to the last minute. When he appears, it's going to be too late. The coming of the Lord in the rapture and the start of judgment will be completely unexpected. The rapture of the church and the coming of judgment is going to be completely, categorically unexpected. Well, here's the lesson. So, Jesus goes, turns to his disciples. I don't want you to ask me what the parable means, okay? I'm going to tell you. This is like... I'm going to tell you. Don't, don't ask me. I'm going to tell you. 
Here's what the parable means in verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. That's what it means, gentlemen. That's what it means. Live ready. Jesus is warning us of the dreadful fate of those who who know that they should be watching, but who don't and who are not ready when he comes. And I want to say this again. I want to underscore this. It's a condition of life down here on earth that we cannot know how long it will last. That's just the nature of life, whether death or his coming. We really do not know. Let me wrap it up by, by giving five applications to us. And you have undoubtedly heard me say these things over the last few weeks, but I want to say them again. Five things that this ought to mean to us. You read stories like this. This, this, this ought to mean these five things to us. The first thing I would say is that we need to examine our hearts. Examine our hearts to see if we're in the way. Do we have oil? Is my relationship with Christ genuine? Is it real? Examine our hearts. And I plead with you, don't, please, don't assume this. Don't assume this. Please, don't assume it. Parents, kids growing up in a Christian home, don't assume that your children have a relationship with Christ because they prayed a prayer. Don't assume it. Examine your heart. There is the assurance of salvation, but that's only, that only comes after honest examination. Examine your heart. Number two, we need to pray for those who are lost. Far too much of my praying has to do, has to do with stuff around this church. Far too much of that has to do, we, we, need, we need to expand the number of unbelievers that we're seeking God for, that we're praying for, trusting that, that urgently they will come to know the Savior. Number three, we need to take the initiative to share the gospel. Take the initiative to do that. You've heard me say this up here, and I'm going to keep saying that. There, there are too many of us who spend too much time with believers. We spend too much time with Christians. We need to spend more time being salt and light. We need to shake things up in our world. We need to carve out time to interact with people who don't know the Savior. This is urgent stuff here. Jesus is coming, and we don't want to see anybody left behind. God's given us those jobs. Don't be so quick to run from the office and say, Ooh, i got to get away from those unbelievers. No, maybe God wants you there to hang with them, to interact with them, to love them, to mix it up with them. And I want to say this too, number four. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Include in the gospel presentations that we give the consequences for not trusting Christ. The gospel is not just good advice to be taken. It is good news that demands that we believe it. And we ought to let people know. I don't mean that, you know, you know, turn and burn, this kind of thing. But I'm going to tell you something. Don't go to the other extreme either. Don't go to the other extreme. When people do not, when they refuse to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, we ought to say, now you know what you're doing, don't you? You know this is not just a neutral decision. Do you know your rejection of this carries with it damnable, irreversible, devastating consequences? 
And again, I think we ought to be loving in our communication of the gospel. Obviously, you know, you know I mean, some people are at different places. Yeah, I agree with friendship evangelism. But, but, but if Matthew 25 and 26 is right, <laughs> you've got to kick up the urgency, Jack. The world needs to hear desperately. And if we care about people and we love them, we need to tell them the whole truth about the gospel and what it means to not respond. And the last thing I would say is, Center your life around the Great Commission. What is that all about? Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. We need to run from compartmentalization. Run from compartmentalization. Run from compartmentalization. Run from compartmentalization. Everything in your life is the arena for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Every relationship that you have, your job, everything that you do, and we ought to be conscious of that. God did not call you to be an engineer. He did not call you to be a businessman. He didn't call. That, those are just facilitating pathways. I've said that here before. It's the platform to fulfill the Great Commission. All of life is meant to be lived out that way. Every last bit of it. And we need to view ourselves differently. He's coming back. Are we ready? Life was filled with guns and war. And everyone got trampled on the floor. The children died, the days grew cold, a piece of bread would buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Are you sure that you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? If you are not, there's an easy solution to that right now. Easy. In the quietness and sincerity of your heart and life, all you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin, and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. I'm not trusting in my Bible study. I'm not trusting what I know about you. I'm trusting you right now, right now, right now. I receive you as a sufficiency for the payment of my sin. I receive you, and I turn to you, and I trust you. Listen, church, and I'm going to say a word to those of us who are Christians, okay? We've got to get after it. We've got to step up our game. Too much of the world has eroded our passion for Jesus. This world is lost. The clock is ticking. The bridegroom is on his way. And we need to clear the junk out of our lives, the compromised garbage that we've been seduced into, the worldly way in which we think, and act like we're going to a wedding. A powerful challenge by Crawford Loretz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy. Five movements in the progression of the parable of the ten virgins is found in Matthew 25. As Crawford said, you can know for sure that you're a child of God and on your way to the wedding by believing that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, proving He is God. Trust Him. Confess that you have sinned. Let Jesus be in control of your life. If you'd like help in this decision, here's a number to call to speak with someone right now. 888-NEED-HIM. 888-NEED-HIM. If you joined us late in the broadcast today, hear the complete message on our website, livingalegacy.org. We also offer all of Crawford's messages as free downloads. Look for the MP3 link on our website, livingalegacy.org. 
We're always encouraged by your emails. Take a few moments to write to us at legacy at moody.edu. Thanks for joining us today. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.